Thank you for listening to Lawfully Ever After. I'm your host, Julie Potts. And please remember that this is not legal advice. This is meant to be informative and educational as you navigate one of the hardest times in your lives. So what I was thinking about recently, financial abuse. It happens all the time. And so it made me think about my infamous get a job. So the reason behind get a job, when you're on TikTok, it's fun, it's quick. That's the whole point. And we've talked a little bit about earning capacity, I think. But I had a case recently where a person came in and it was pretty clear that person should have a job, not just because the court's going to impute an earning capacity, not just because of a thousand other reasons, but mainly because it gives you control of your life. So just thought it would be a good idea to talk about that, especially this time of year when, you know, the holidays are coming and this is when high emotions start and it's not uncommon for our phones to go off the hook in January. And a common topic is going to be, how are you going to pay for this? How am I going to get divorced? How am I going to afford not only a lawyer, but how am I going to afford life post-divorce? So that is what popped into my head. So I figured we talk about it. Why get a job? It just starts with it gives you control. It's never to say that being a stay-at-home parent isn't a job. I stayed home a majority of the girls, my, my older two daughters who are twins, their first three years, give or take. I did work, but just a tiny bit and a tiny bit and just enough to stay current. That's actually when family law began for me because I was a DA first. And I think my experience is probably the exact reason why you should stay a tiny bit in the workforce as a woman. And I say woman, I'm being sexist because typically it's the woman who's the stay-at-home parent. But it gives you control, right? So why does it give you control? Let's think this out. If you come into my office and you say to me, I've been a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. In this situation, a parent has a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old, and they don't have a job them? What control do they have? What power do they have in their lives? How are they going to get out the door? How are they going to start from an intact household where they are completely dependent on somebody financially to independent financially and physically? So there's a number of steps that you take to get there, right? So it's going to be a huge transition to, to number one, get a job. Then that transition is going to be coupled with starting over, your kid's anxiety, your anxiety. And so that takes part of it out. You already have that job. You already have your foot in the door. It doesn't have to even pay. It can just be experience that you can leverage to get out the door. Now, that just gives you the way to hopefully get a job quicker. But it also gives you that financial freedom. I would advise almost every woman now, keep in mind, I don't take my own advice, but I would advise every woman to have her own bank account, a place in which that she can have her access to her own funds so that if something happens, that you have the way to get out on your own and have that independence so that you can hire a lawyer, so you can put a deposit down on a place that you can rent, that you are not stuck. So financial independence equals freedom, and it gives you control. And having a job unless you have a trust fund. If you do, good for you. But I still think you should have a job because it gives you, like I said, it gives you that cash flow. I think it also gives people self-esteem to have a job. And I think that's a really important step for people to understand why the advice is get a job, not just because the court is going to impute an earning capacity, but because it gives you that freedom and that control. When you mentioned having your own bank account, it made me think that if you have a spouse who works a traditional W-2 type job, they're also going to have the retirement accounts. My husband has a retirement account, but I don't have access to that because it's through his company. Mm -hmm. So they even, 
the person who is working already has some accounts that are almost separate, even though it's technically both of yours, but they can see the balance. And I feel like I'm like a little bit shielded from that because they have the benefit of having that through their company. So that's a marital asset, presuming there's no prenup or there may be a premarital component, but you've been married a long time. So probably not. Ultimately, that's going to be a retirement asset that you can't liquidate, at least at a working age. You're not If you're not a retirement age, you're not going to be able to liquidate that without tax and or penalty. And actually, I have a case just this week, last week, where mom is the only person working. Dad's not working. They're in two separate households. He's not working, I think, for I don't think it's a legitimate reason. I'll put it that way. And he just, without telling her, while the divorce is pending, cashed out his 401k from previous employer, but a marital asset. So say the gross was 100 grand. So tax affecting it because it was tax affected. I presume it was penalized as well. I think he got, say, $65,000, $70,000. The good news is that our client caught it. And to his credit, his being husband and or the husband's attorney's credit, they're agreeing to distribute the funds and to agree that they're no longer going to dissipate an asset, right? Because our response is, how do we protect any more assets? So we were on the cusp of filing a, it's called a petition to a petition for non-dissipation to put the money back in an account that is interest bearing so that we know where it is and an order that says nobody can dissipate an asset. And that's for your retirement assets. Yeah, but they're really not anything you're going to touch, right? They're supposed to be there for the long term. The bank account is for the short term. The bank account is... So you can also spend without a person, your husband, knowing. You can have a transparent relationship like I do. And like I said, I don't have my own independent bank account. I should. I don't. I should. Obviously, it's easier for me to probably go do that if I wanted to because I have a job. So I can therefore take my paycheck and go do that. Um, But it's to have the independence so that if I want to, if you want to leave, you can. And getting a job and you've been out of the workforce for a long period of time is possible, but it's going to be harder. And I always just think about that transition period, right? So if you're going to transition to two separate households, like I said, adding a job and childcare, it's a lot. And if you want to keep financial abuse out of your life or to the maximum extent possible, then you should have a job. I see a lot of posts on social media. I don't ever respond, but I see a lot where a woman says, I'm a stay-at-home parent. I have three kids. My husband works. He won't let me work. He tells me I shouldn't have a job. My job is here, I but I want a job. So that's a different type of abuse. If someone is telling you that you should not get a job, that's an indication that they are therefore trying to control you if you haven't already figured that out. And so when you give up your independence, that is in theory, maybe giving it to somebody else. I think that's just a bad idea for any person, but I'm speaking primarily to women because that's who I see most of the time in the what we call dependent spouse role. And no matter how great the other person's income is, you're never going to get as much of their paycheck as you will of your own. So people will come in and say the person's getting $3,000 a month in support pending the divorce, which we call EPL. And there's never a guarantee in alimony, right? So that's a whole other discussion. But in Pennsylvania, alimony is what we call a secondary remedy. In other words, after equitable distribution, then we look to see if it's appropriate for alimony. And does the person who is going to pay the alimony have the money to pay it? Do you need it is the analysis for the the payee. And then there's a couple other analyses that we go into. 
but ultimately, so let's just say you're receiving 3000 a month pending the divorce. Once you're physically and financially separate, so you have to be in two separate households. When you're in the same household, there are very rare exceptions that the court will enter an order. So typically you're in the same house, they're not entering orders. The court's not going to interfere with you as an intact household. So once you're physically and financially separate, if you're in the same house and someone is not paying your bills or truly financially straining you to the point where you can't get gas, et cetera. That might be what we call a George case where you could get the court to enter something, but you're going to pay a lot in litigation to get there. So that's a whole different ballgame, but ultimately physically and financially separate. So in this hypothetical, you're physically and financially separate. You file for support. You get spousal support APL of $3,000, right? In Chester County, you're not getting very far with $3,000, but let's presume that's enough for this person. They will come to me frequently and say, I got a job and it's say $40,000, quote unquote, I'm only going to clear, I don't know, whatever that would be net, say 2800 bucks maybe a month. I don't know. I'm making it up. And they'll say, yeah, but isn't that going to reduce my APL? Yeah, but not by much. Not as much as you think. And guess what? You might reduce it. And again, I'm just using easy numbers, say 400 bucks. However, you're also going to keep all of that money that you just said. So why would you give up, in my hypothetical here, 400 bucks from him, the paying spouse, to not get all of your money? Because the court eventually is going to impute that income on you anyway, even if you don't get the job. So you might as well get the job that pays you the money, and therefore you're not dependent upon that person. So yeah, there's times that if you get a job, it's going to reduce your APL pending the divorce, but you're going to get all of your money. So yeah, that's a common hypothetical or a common concern that if they get a job, they're not going to get as much. You won't, but who cares? You're going to get more of your own money. I would say the cost of childcare was the number one reason that people fought back about needing to get a job. In Pennsylvania, if the court's going to impute a an earning capacity on you, they have to consider reasonable childcare because it is not in a vacuum. And there are certain times that it does not make sense financially at that moment, but you have to think long-term too. Right. And because keep in mind, the child care expense is also going to be a shared expense, shared meaning proportionate to your income. So if he or she, whoever, if he will use him as the person who's paying in this hypothetical, makes 60 percent of the total income available from both of you, then he is paying 60 percent of the child care and therefore the other person's paying 40. Right. So it's not in a vacuum. The courts have to consider that. Um, and let's just say it's a situation where the income and the childcare is going to net minimal cash flow. That's a short-term issue because kids grow up, childcare reduces as the kids get older because the ratio of teachers to children changes, therefore the cost goes down, and then your kids go to school. So it is a long-term thought. But it's true. Yeah, childcare is a consideration, but the courts have to consider that in Pennsylvania. So how does that work? Let's say I can only get a job that's minimum wage and we have three kids. And so it really doesn't make sense for me to go back to work because we're going to be spending more than what I would make on childcare. But I need to move out and I need to start my own life, but I can't work. Let's say in this situation, I can't work because of the schedule and with all the kids. How much money can I really get in that situation because the other person also needs to have money to live, right? When you're talking about Chester County, where we live, cost of living is pretty high because when you look at rent, even in the least expensive places to try to get rent, if you need to have multiple bedrooms because you have multiple kids, two of those, one for each parent, would be astronomical. It's going to probably be double their mortgages, let's just say. So then how does that all shake out in the end? So keep in mind, 
depending on what the other person's income is. So the big needle mover here is going to be the working party's income. And sometimes it's not enough for both of you. That's the situation where I look at a person, I go, I I can't make more money where there's no money. There's not enough to go around. So I don't know what to tell you. There's not a good answer. Sometimes I have a call with someone tomorrow. And she never likes what I tell her. She looks at me like I have 75 heads when I tell her. I'm like, you didn't have enough cash as an intact household. You are spending above your means. How do you want me to create more income when you are in two separate households? I can't. Money is money. And the courts cannot make you do two jobs. They can't make him work two jobs. If you're working a full-time job, that's what you're required to do. And keep in mind, pending the divorce, it's an income-driven model. In other words, they look at your income. They look at the other person's income. And the earning capacity can come in if you're not working. And it's formulaic, right? So are there deviations at times? Sure. Are they common? No. Okay. So like at the end of the day, the courts are the presumptive correct number is going to be the calculation based on the support calculations. And before people say, I can go online and this is what I hear, you really should talk to an attorney because you're not thinking about certain things such as how are you filing taxes? Are there mandatory retirement? Is there mandatory union dues? Healthcare costs, absolutely, that has to be calculated in. So so it's an income-driven model. So sometimes the answer is it doesn't work. I, I can't help you. I can't fix that. I can't make more money for you. So what do they do in that situation? Usually they rely on family. If it's a I'm getting out come hell or high water, typically family will chip in. And usually that person has to figure out a way to get further along than minimum wage. I, I, that's the end of that. I can't fix it. Good part in Chester County, at least, the earning capacity or the expectation is probably more than maybe what you're thinking. We usually say the minimum is thirty to 35000 for earning capacity in Chester County. That's not going to get you where you need to be. I agree with you on that. But if you're looking at two households, it, that helps approach it. It's not just the rent. It's the car payments and the it's everything. Let's just say I'm representing him. And he says to me and I have this, I can't afford that. I don't care. The courts don't care. You need to live within your means. You have to pay your support. So it goes both ways. It goes to the person who's receiving the support saying that's not enough to make ends meet. That's not the standard. And then on the person who's paying, I can't afford that. Oh, it's an income-driven model. Now, they do have in the statute a self-support reserve for the person paying. In other words, they can't make you pay more than a certain number. And I, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. I think the support reserve at this point is just under $900 a month. In other words, they can't pull, they can't wage attach you and take your money. They have to leave you with 900 bucks. Okay, so this is a really low, this is a really low number. So they do put a protection in there. But yeah, and so when I said get a job, and people say, I can't make ends meet, it doesn't mean that the other person is living a life of luxury, they also get the same tough love. Maybe you need to stop contributing to your 401k right now, because you can't worry about investing in 25 years, you got to get cash on the table now. Perhaps, perhaps you got to have a lesser car payment you got people come in and tell me either a I can't afford it and then I'm like okay we got an iPhone whatever in your pocket and you're driving a brand new car and it's what's prioritizing and then I have women and I'm just telling you what I see who come in and tell me I can't afford it but I'm not blind I see you have your nails done and your hair done and your Botox and that's fine I don't judge I do my hair I got my Botox (laughs) but I have a job and I say that because that's not lost on any person so it's a matter of where you prioritize your money. And then the people, who's my standard of living? I get it, but it's an income-driven model. 
Like it is income driven. So alimony is a factor in alimony is standard of living and it's, but it's also cash flow. It's not, it's an income driven analysis, but it's cash flow as opposed to formulaic. So it's tough love. I don't know what to tell you, but you're a lot better off in your independence with a job. You at least have the ability to go from using a a marathon analogy as my left foot hurts today from (laughs) whatever injury I have du jour. When you're going through a divorce and if we make it a marathon, if you start out as the completely dependent spouse, that the Facebook post that I see a lot, my husband says, no, I can't get a job. I have three kids. What am I supposed to do? You're starting at training. You're not even at mile zero. You're like, at, you're at training. If you have a job and you have some independence, even if it's five hours a week, it's, I'm not saying go out there and become a career CEO. I'm saying some job, you're now in, now you're in the race, right? You, whether you're at mile one or you're at mile 20, you're in the race. And that's the important part so that it's a lot easier. So it's setting yourself up to get closer to that finish line. And it is hard. It's absolutely hard. No one is sitting here telling you that it's easy to go and figure out how to go from a stay at home parent of multiple kids and get a job and get separate. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard as hell. And I see it and I am in all of people every day on how they are able to handle it. But my advice to those who are contemplating divorce or separation is the first step would be to get a job. So you have that independence. So you have that safeguard. And for women who are married, who have been told don't get a job, sorry, I can say whatever I want. Fuck that you get a job that is somebody who's trying to control you. And you don't need to be dependent upon anybody. So never give up that independence. And even if you never get divorced, guess what? Now you can go buy whatever you want without someone telling you you can't. I do have that account. He has access to it. But I do have that account. And I, he can't say, Julie, you can't buy blah, because I can. That's my money that I keep for me. So it goes, no matter if you're getting divorced or not, it gives you freedom. And I don't know specifically why these partners are telling their partner not to get a job, but it's probably because it's easier for them because sure. they know that they're home and they're taking care of the kids and they don't have to be home at a certain time. But if you end up getting divorced, now they're going to be single parenting the kids. And they're sure as hell going to come in and say, I want 50-50. Okay, you didn't do anything before. And that's what the the person who's been staying home. But then I have to tell them, okay, but the question isn't what they were doing. Yes, being the primary parent is a factor. But can that parent do it? And you know they're going to do it. So you might as well let them. And guess what? Your kids are going to be fine. I think for, for both sides, it would be better to have an independence so that you're like, I'm going to be working for these five hours, so you need to be home with the kids. Either way, whether you stay married or not, then you'd at least have to be sharing that responsibility at least a little bit because that's a lot to put on one person. Yeah. And even if the parent doesn't get 50-50, the the person who is the non-primary caregiving parent doesn't get 50-50, they're going to get some time. So yeah, I mean, it's a matter of practicality. And again, look, if I won the lottery, would I still do what I do? Probably. I do... I do think I would do it. I'd probably be a lot more selective on, on how, how often I'm working, et cetera. But it goes down to, it's a part of who I am. Like I don't define myself as an attorney, but it's a part of my independence. The other part, I had an aha moment probably maybe a year or two ago, maybe even recently with my husband going, huh, like I am truly choosing to be married to him. I'm not there because I need him. I don't need him. He doesn't need me. I'm there because I'm choosing to. Because I, he has financial independence and I have financial independence. I could raise my kids. I would definitely, I definitely appreciate the help. And he could too. But it's a choice, right? And so when you take out any person's dependence, 
in any way, then it's really comes down to you get to choose your future. When you have equality, and now keep in mind equality can flip, right? So every household, there's going to be some days that I'm doing 80% and he's doing 20 or flip-flop. There's no, and you should never really have a tit for tat. Like I did the dishes yesterday, you do it. That's not healthy. But in any event, yeah, I mean, it gives you, that equality gives you so much. And I think that's something that's very much missing from marriages is a respect for each other in what they do on a day-to-day basis. And also giving each other trust to do the the job because there's been plenty of times that I've said I can't do it all and Steve will go I'll do it and guess what two weeks ago or so I said okay fine you get the kids after school every day I'm done and guess what I have and they're fine and do I come home and I'm still the therapist sure but yeah you don't have to do it all women and some of us have chosen better partners like that's something we also can't fix you might be married to a partner who you being the person listening who is like yeah I don't care I we can't fix that right but if you have somebody who's willing you don't have to do it all like last night giving up control of what we make what I make for dinner or what's for dinner is actually hard for me. During COVID, I became someone who liked to cook and cook healthy as healthier. So Steve's been in charge of dinner. I kid you not, I've given up the role four o'clock. He's home with the kids. I took Molly to the doctor today and I'll take her to get her braces off tomorrow. But yeah, so anyway, so I came home and I said, I'm going to I'll eat whatever you make. And he's really? And I'm like, yeah. So last night he texts, what time will you be home for dinner? Oh, and I was like, I'll be home at 6.30. And I, I wanted to say, what are you making? Because I wanted to be in control. But I was like, I, I don't care. Whatever he makes, I'll try. And the kids are fine. So I came home and he, <laughs> the kitchen was a mess. It was cute. And then he's he's got every cup out. And that's funny because at the end of dinner, we're all cleaning up. He goes, now I know why you always have all the dishes out. I'm like, yeah, there's because I'm making stuff from scratch. I'm typically, and not gourmet, but I'm, anyway, he made this honey mustard chicken or honey mustard pretzel chicken and a, a cheesy pasta broccoli something. And I, I actually needed some vegetables because I hadn't had any all day. So I put the pasta and the chicken on top of a small salad. And it was like, really, it's fine. I was like, I don't care. And the kids ate it. And he appreciated my role. And I was able to appreciate his role. And you know what, like, it's hard, but I, you have to let go. And it's freeing to be like, you know what, it's fine. And if I didn't like if I didn't like what he made, then I would find something on my own. I appreciate it. That's the key part, right? The appreciating it. But I think it goes to independence. And I think that I will say, I know my kids see me as independent, and in particular, my daughters. And I'm glad. I want them to see me as independent. If they say to me, I want to stay home when they have children, I would say, I, I think you should, I'd say the same thing. Keep a little bit of your job. Keep a little bit of you. Doesn't mean you are, whatever that person chooses. I'm not sitting here in judgment. I'm saying practicality. People who get married or are in a relationship are going to have some type of dependence at one point. That's fine. I'm not saying no one's completely dependent or ever not dependent. It just goes down to that freedom, that independence, because you want to be in a situation, intact household or not, that you have control over your economic future. So if you're the person who's, I don't want to work full time, no one's saying work full time. When I left the DA's office, I didn't even think of asking other law firms to hire me part time. Didn't even cross my mind. I didn't even think it was a possibility. And so I started doing adoptions. That's how family law started. For American adoptions, they would contract me to go and either take consents of birth mom or I would finalize adoptions. And that's how it started. So I was, I was working for myself. I had my own quote unquote office. By that, I mean I was home. And I had someone come in, child care for the kids like three mornings a week. But again, that was my foot in the door. But ultimately, I didn't even think of it. And then 
I eventually, I always joke with Sydney. I was like, when she stopped napping, I was like, mommy's going back to work full time. And by full time, more than not, and in the off in an office with an employer. And I also said I would never work for myself. I was like, absolutely not. You just never know. But having a profession gave me that autonomy. But it just goes back to you out there who might be listening. You don't even know what's possible. We have an attorney here that is three days a week. And we know that she has two small kids. And when she's her kids are in school, then she'll hopefully go up a little bit more to full time because we've we've respected her needs. Yeah, it's possible. And frankly, that might be the sweet spot. Because if you were able to be a one person household, then you perhaps don't need to be back at work full time. But there are more options out there than not for that part time person. But the, the big thing is, if you're the part time person, you have to be the one to res- remind your employer of those boundaries. I know you know this, but honor your boundaries. Yeah. Women are fixers, right? So that's generally, if my kids call me at four o'clock, my instinct is to answer and help and fix but I have to be like mm, it's dad right. call dad call dad right. call dad but does, does that mean I want to do that no but what I realize is that I could not do it all so look it doesn't matter if you're in a happy household or you're in the process of a divorce this is a balance that comes in in every household but I will say whether you're making what, what some people would say is minimal or you're making bank it doesn't matter it's independence it's freedom and it is the ability to take using the analogy of that finish line or the marathon at least you're in the race right or at least you're closer to the finish line because we all know life is hard enough that let's figure out ways to give yourself less resistance instead of swimming fully against the the current kind of thing. So I just thought about that during the holidays because it will come. The financial issues are going to come. The calls are going to come. And there's no rush most of the time, barring extreme situations and abuse, et cetera. There's no rush to a divorce. And so if you're contemplating divorce, maybe one thing to do before you do anything is get a job. It doesn't have to be full-time. Just get a job so you can get your independence. And you know what? Again, certain households, like perhaps what is missing is not, maybe you don't need a divorce. Maybe you need independence. Maybe you need to have that conversation with your spouse because your kids also grow up and they leave you. And that is the goal. So divorce is final and forever. And so before you make a lifelong decision, try things like getting a job. And it's not to be mean. It's not to diminish stay-at-home moms. Everything matters. I applaud stay-at-home moms. That it, like I said, hard as hell. I told you what I said to Sydney. I was like, off I go. <laughs> but yeah, it's independence and it's freedom. And I want every person, not just women, every person to have that for themselves because then you're truly making your own choices. And at the end of the day, you get one life. So make your choices.